when you think about history, uh, I think about how many things that if this thing or that thing didn't happen, how everything would change. When my grandfather was in fighting in World War II, he served with the U.S. Navy and uh, was in the middle of a battle. So he was in the Battle of Midway and some of these other famous battles that we read about when we think about World War II. Uh, he was on a naval ship in the middle of a battle. And I guess even then sometimes your shoelaces come untied because he, he was on the deck uh, of the battleship. He had bent down to uh, tie his shoes he stood up, and as soon as he stood up, a piece of shrapnel from the sky fell down and landed right where his head was just a moment ago. And if, uh, you know, just if anything changed in that moment, if he delayed even a second, I wouldn't be here. You know, my kids wouldn't be here. This life would be completely different. You know, you think about that. I'm sure you all, you know, you study your own family histories. You think about, well, if your mom didn't meet your dad, or if this didn't happen or that didn't happen, you wouldn't exist. This history matters, and those little historical details uh, bear great significance over time. And how much more when the Lord of history took on flesh to come to this hour that we are now going to study in John 18, to go to the cross, everything in heaven and earth would be different if Jesus didn't come to this hour, this hour of glory. And so we're going to study in the, next, uh, in the coming weeks today and in the next two weeks, this hour of glory that John has been building up to in the gospel, this hour when Jesus would be glorified, this hour that would change our destinies forever. So what I would like to do today is give you a meditation then on how Jesus is glorified in this hour of glory. So you recall in the Gospel of John, and we've had the structure of John on the inside cover of the, of the bulletin, the back cover. and We've seen that John has emphasized glory, the glory of Christ throughout this Gospel. In the prologue, he says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then as we get into the first major section of John, it's all about the signs of glory. Remember at that first sign in Cana when Jesus turned water into wine, John says this was the first sign in which he manifested his glory. And we have all these I am statements and all of these miracles that happen, all these signs that bear witness to the glory of Christ. And now we're in the second major section of John, which is his hour of glory, where Jesus says, Now my hour has come, and Father, for this, uh, glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. He's coming to this moment of glory which will be his death and resurrection, as we'll study. And as we will see when we get to the end of this major section in John 20, John's going to remark about all of the signs. And in fact, that there are so many signs and wonders that if they were all written, the world could not contain them. 
So I'm going to give you nine ways that Jesus is glorified. This might be a longer list than normal, but John says if even these, if everything was written about Jesus' glory and all that he's done, the world could not contain the books written about him. So we'll look at nine ways that Jesus is glorified here in this hour of glory. And the purpose of all of this is that by beholding his glory, we might believe and have life in his name. And indeed, that life comes by what he is about to do as he goes to the cross. So let's look here together at John 18, nine ways that Jesus is glorified in his hour of glory uh, as he uh, moves through his betrayal, arrest, and the trials in chapter 18. So number one, he did not delay the hour of suffering. Number one, he did not delay the hour of, of his suffering. And we see in verse 18, one, John writes, When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered you know, Jesus spent the last several chapters uh, in his last hours with his disciples telling them what they needed to know so that they, could, uh, they would be prepared for Jesus leaving them. So we have the farewell discourse that we've been looking at from chapters 13 to 17. Before that, Jesus did his public ministry and completed his public ministry. So we've seen Jesus complete his public ministry give his last words to his disciples. And then after that, which to me would feel pretty tiresome, he doesn't stop and go on vacation. He, he doesn't pause. He doesn't say, whoo, this is going to be rough. I'm going I'm to take a break. He goes right to work. When he had spoken these words, he went out. He did not delay the hour as I think all of us would be glad to do if we were in his uh, sandals, I should say, uh, rather than shoes. So that's how he is glorified. Secondly, Jesus is glorified in that he did not run from the enemy. He did not run from the enemy. In verse 4, John writes, Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, when the band of soldiers and others came, Whom do you seek? Jesus did not flee from the enemy. I love how the old Puritans speak about this moment. Matthew Henry says that uh, Jesus stood up and faced his enemy on the field of battle. That the greatest spiritual warfare ever experienced is happening right at this moment. And Jesus does not flee the scene. In fact, John says in verse 4, he knew already all that would happen. Knowing, Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said, Who do you seek? So Jesus is glorified in that he did not delay the hour. He did not run from the enemy. And thirdly, that he was in complete control. 
Jesus was in complete control. In verse 6, after Judas standing there to betray him, um, they ask him, Jesus asked them, whom do you seek? And Jesus says, and they said, excuse me, and they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who had betrayed him, was standing with him. And then here in verse 6, when Jesus said to them, I am he, John says, they drew back and fell to the ground. Jesus saying, I am. We've seen these I am statements throughout the Gospel of John. And the most powerful of all of them was when Jesus said, Before Abraham was, I am. Using the personal name of God, Yahweh, as God reveals himself to Moses. Uh, I am what I am. I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. Jesus says, I am. And at that glory of which Moses couldn't look, Moses could only see the back of his glory, of which just the little uh, display of that glory before the soldiers and Judas and the Pharisees and the chief priests, they fell over backwards. what, What a symbol basically of saying that Jesus is letting them harm him. And if he wanted, as we read in the other Gospels, he could call down the angels of heaven to wipe them out. Jesus, who holds the universe together by the word of his power, could simply unthink them and they would evaporate before his eyes. Jesus is in complete control. There's no part of what we will read that Jesus is not Lord of. There is no accident. There is no, we, we don't see, uh, as unfortunately some Christians have even taught, that this is some kind of plan B of God's. That, well, because the Jews rejected him, we need to have another plan. God knows exactly what he's doing, exactly what's going to happen. Jesus knows all that would happen to him, as John says in verse 4. And in John 6, we see that Jesus has the power to wipe them out right there. But he knows the greater purpose, and he lets them abuse him. And uh, he will let them crucify him in due course but he is in complete control. So a fourth way that Jesus is glorified in this text is that he fulfilled his word by protecting his disciples. He fulfilled his word by protecting his disciples. Jesus is the good shepherd uh, who lays his life down for the sheep. We've read about that in John 10. Uh, and he is the one who loses none of that which the Father gives him. Jesus said in John 6, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and I will lose none of them. And Jesus picks that theme up in John 10 as well. But Jesus lost none of his disciples. And in verse 8 and 9, after he says that I am Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus answered, I told you that I am he, so if you seek me, let these men go. He is sparing his disciples. 
He's not fleeing and pointing to Peter and saying, he's Jesus. He is saying, let these men go. And John says in verse 9, that him saying this, that this was to fulfill the word that he had spoken of those whom you gave me. I have lost not one. And Jesus prayed that as well in chapter 17, verse 12. And the only one that was lost was the one spoken of in the Psalms of Judas himself. Psalm 109, let his days be few, let another seek his office. But that was according to Scripture. So Jesus, as the Good Shepherd, has protected his people to the end and seeks them, uh, seeks their deliverance here even in these last moments of his earthly life. So we've seen that Jesus is glorified and that he did not delay the hour. He did not run from the enemy. He was in complete control. He fulfilled his word by protecting his disciples. And number five, he drank the cup the Father gave him. He drank the cup the Father gave him. When I was in my uh, early 20s, I really wrestled with my life situation at that moment. And I felt some things were done that weren't just. And that uh, uh, a particular person in my life was not treating me fairly. And I, I was bitter about it. Uh, but in that time, in my early 20s, I was also discovering the sovereignty of God and the doctrines of grace and what the Bible says about that. And uh, one day as I was thinking about my particular issue, I realized that if I'm bitter, I'm actually ultimately bitter against God because it's God who sovereignly directs the course of my life. And it's God who works all things for the good of those who love him. All things. Paul doesn't say some things in Romans 8. He says all things for the good of those who love him. And I realize that if I'm going to remain bitter, I'm actually remaining bitter at God. Because each one of us has a cup to drink that the Father in heaven has given to us. And uh, we see here in verse 11, there's uh, the, the, the band, the mob comes to take Jesus and Peter takes out his sword and lops off the ear of one of the servants. But look at what Jesus says to him in verse 11. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword in its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the father has given me? That Jesus, without whining or complaining, drunk the cup that the Father had given to him, which was go to the cross and to suffer in our place on behalf of God's people. And Jesus, without delay, without running, in complete control, fulfilling prophecy, drinks the cup the Father gives him. And in that way, he is glorified in this moment. Number six, Jesus is glorified in that he was right about Peter's betrayal. 
he was right about Peter's betrayal. And uh, kind of interwoven in chapter 18 are Peter's uh, Peter's denials. And we, in that way, even see a comparison of the faithfulness of Christ and the faithlessness of even his best disciples. And uh, in verse 15, John says, Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, this is John, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside the door. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? And Peter said, I am not. And then we see in verse 25, again, after Jesus is uh, in the midst of his trials. Verse 25, now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? And Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. And this, of course, is uh, in fulfillment of Jesus' words in chapter 13, verse 38. Jesus told Peter, Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen with Peter. And Jesus is glorified in his words coming to pass. Uh, A seventh way that Jesus is glorified, that he bore witness to the truth. He bore witness to the truth. As uh, Jesus is before Pilate, Pilate's asking him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, you said you are. And Jesus then talks about his kingdom not being of this world. Uh, In verse 37, then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him as a uh, postmodernist, wait a minute, Uh, he said, what is truth? What is truth? There's nothing new under the sun, is there? Um, But Jesus' whole purpose in coming to earth was to bear witness to the Father and bear witness to truth to show the Father to his disciples. As we saw in last week in John 17 in the high priestly prayer, Jesus, I have manifested your name. And, uh, before that, the d- disciples said, well, show us the Father's glories. Like if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Jesus bore witness to the truth, not only what he said, but how he lived. how he fulfilled all of scriptures, the law and the prophets, the Psalms. And he bore witness to the truth. He is the word. 
the Logos. That's how John begins the gospel. In the beginning was the Logos, the Word, the reason. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we live in a world that hates truth, hates reason, that hates logic. Sin is ultimately, as I've said before, irrational because God is truth. So to reject God is the ultimate in irrationality. And Pilate, just like many today, says, well, what is truth? Isn't that the great cover-up for denying God? He says, well, I don't know for certain. You know, William, we were having lunch this week, and William said, you know, people know God exists. They just deny him. They just cover it up. They just make excuses. Saying in cowardly ways, well, we can't be sure. We know God exists. As Paul says in Romans 1, the whole uh, creation, all of mankind is without an excuse for the knowledge of God and His glory is clearly seen in creation in, in the marvelous complexity of how we are made and put together, how this planet would not be able to support any life. It was a degree closer to the sun or a degree farther away from the sun because we'd either melt or freeze. It's, it's really remarkable. And as I said before, Jesus holds this world, world together by the word of his power. As uh, the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 1 of Hebrews, Jesus is truth. He is the truth of life. He is the complete and perfect revelation of God's will for us. So that is how Jesus is glorified. So we've seen seven things so far. He did not he is glorified in that he did not delay the hour. He did not run from the enemy. He was in complete control. He fulfilled his word by protecting his disciples. He get, he drunk the cup the Father gave him. He was right about Peter's betrayal. He bore witness to the truth. And we'll have two more here. Uh, number eight, uh, he was found innocent in his trials. He was found innocent in his trials. There was absolutely no substance to the trials before the Jewish authorities uh, as we see in chapter 18, they just slap them around, but they're, 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 there's no substantial argument even made. And then so they bring Jesus to Pilate for a civil trial, since the Roman Empire, uh, they were the overlords of the Jews and of Israel, and so they bring Pilate for a civil trial. And Pilate says in verse 29 to them, What accusation do you bring this man against this man? And they answered them, Well, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. They can't actually tell him what the evil is. But they say, Well, would we bring him to you if he didn't do evil? 
That is the substance of their argument. They have nothing. Nothing whatsoever. And then as uh, Jesus, or sorry, as Pilate interviews Jesus, he doesn't find anything either. It says, John uh, writes in verse 38, uh, the second half of verse 38, After he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. I find no guilt in him. Jesus goes to the cross as the spotless Lamb of God, of whom there is no guilt found All of the Old Testament sacrifices had to be without blemish, without spot or wrinkle. They had to be perfect. And Jesus, as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, goes to trial. He is found blameless, innocent, without spot or wrinkle, as the perfect sacrifice for his people. And number nine, lastly, Jesus is glorified in that he took the place of a real traitor. He took the place of a real traitor. In uh, verse 39 and 40, Pilate goes on and says, But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So you do uh so you do want me to release sorry so do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews Pilate just found the king of the Jews innocent In verse 40 they cried out again not this man but Barabbas And John concludes chapter 18 by saying now Barabbas was a robber This Greek word, actually, robber doesn't really do it justice. Really, the word would be better translated or read, and I believe it's in the footnote as well in the ESV. Uh, Let me double-check that before I say it. Is it? Yeah, it's a footnote. Insurrectionist. During this time of uh, Roman political overrule, there were many instances of the Jews rising up to rebel against their overlords. And there were sects and there were um, essentially um, my concussion brain. What's the word I'm looking for? Terrorists. Um, There were essentially terrorists, Jewish terrorists, doing what they could to throw off Rome. Barabbas was one of these guys. He was an insurrection. So he was a murderer. He was a robber. Uh, he was a bad dude. But you know what? He perfectly represented the world that was in insurrection against God. The whole world, and even God's own people, as John begins the gospel, he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. So what better and more fitting representative of such a people than an insurrectionist? We want Barabbas. And Jesus 
as the perfect and innocent Son of God takes the place of a real traitor. He fully and completely takes on the treachery of the sinful world that hated him, including our sin as well. If this hour of glory did not come to pass, we wouldn't be here today. We would still be steeped in our sins and rebellion to God as traitors like Barabbas. And like the unbelieving Jews and unbelieving Gentiles. But because of this hour of glory, all of history has changed. And John is showing us all of these signs of Jesus' glory that we might believe that our lives might be changed forever, for all eternity. This is the glory of Christ that John holds before us that we might believe and have life in his name. And this is the glory of Christ that we must share with those around us who have not seen it. That's why we're here as this little church plant trying to do something, uh, following God, drinking the cup that he gave for us to drink, that others too might have life in his name. So this has been just a brief meditation this morning on the glory of Christ in his hour of glory leading up to the cross. Peter will continue that meditation next week. And I would encourage you to read ahead. And then it will continue a third week when we read about the resurrection as well. This is what all of history has been building up to. This hour of glory and Jesus' death and resurrection that even us today might have life in his name. So may the Lord be glorified in us, and glorified as we share his glory with others, and may he do things far beyond all we could ask or imagine that history might be forever and indelibly changed, and that we might one day rise with Jesus in glory to sing his praises world without end. Amen.